Welcome to the third edition of Expatriate Law's podcasts, which are designed to provide expatriates with detailed help and advice on the laws of different jurisdictions. Today, I am delighted to welcome Lauren Carmichael. Lauren is a solicitor qualified in England and Wales. Lauren worked for four years for Beverly Clark of Clark's Attorneys in South Africa. During her time there, Lauren founded the Johannesburg Family Law Conference, bringing together professionals from the family law community in South Africa and internationally. Lauren advised expatriates and nationals in South Africa on family law matters, including divorce, financial remedies on divorce and children disputes. Her knowledge of the crossover between the laws of England and South Africa has been invaluable when advising expatriates. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you very much for having me. I'm going to start by asking you a few questions um, on the laws of South Africa, if that's all right. Of course. Firstly, do both parties, husband and wife, need to live in South Africa in order to get divorced there? No, um, they don't, but either they or their spouse need to be domiciled in the area of jurisdiction of the court or ordinarily resident in the area of jurisdiction of the court for a year prior to the divorce action being instituted. Okay, great. So that sounds like expatriates living in, in South Africa can divorce there. Yes. And in England, you have to be married for a year before you can get divorced. Is it the same in South Africa? No, it's, um, it's not the same. There's no minimum requirement um, as there is in England. Okay. Will South African law apply to all aspects of the divorce? Not necessarily. This is an interesting one. Um, as South African law presently stands, the husband's domicile at the date of marriage dictates which laws govern and determine the propriety consequences of the marriage, i.e. the division of the assets. So, for example, if the husband was domiciled in England at the date of marriage, English law will govern and determine the propriety consequences of the marriage. Whereas if the husband was domiciled in South Africa at the date of the marriage, say, in a situation where you have a British wife and a South African husband, South African law will govern and determine the propriety consequences of the marriage. And then, obviously, when it comes to any maintenance and children aspects, they will be governed and determined in accordance with South African law, regardless of the husband's domicile at the date of the marriage. Right, I see. So that could result in the South African laws applying different foreign laws. How do they do that? Um, it's... it's, it's it's a tricky one. So expert evidence is presented um, as to what, for example, the English courts would be likely to do with regard to a division of assets, and the South African court would make a decision based on that. However, obviously, as I'm sure you can understand, in reality, trying to explain, say, English law to a South African court is tricky, and there's no guarantee that it will be understood and applied correctly by a South African court. Um, in a case I acted on where English law applied to the division of assets, each party obtained an expert opinion, but there was a huge disparity between the two opinions, which is not unusual given the discretionary nature of English law. Fortunately, in, in that situation, the case did settle, but had the matter run to trial, it would have been hard to predict how a South African judge would have applied English law 
South African judges are coming from a very different mindset when it comes to finances, which obviously may influence how they end up dealing with finances. Okay, okay, yes, well, that's, that's understandable. Um, how are the assets divided on divorce in terms of South African law? In South Africa, unlike in England, there are matrimonial property systems which determine how assets should be divided on divorce. Um, namely community of property and the accrual system. Couples usually enter into an anti-nuptial contract which enables them to choose under which matrimonial property system they wish to be married so they can be married in or out of community of property. If they are going to be married out of community of property they can opt into the accrual system or they can choose to opt out of both community of property and the accrual system. Crucially, what is important is that when a couple, couple marries without entering into an anti-nuptial contract, then they are automatically married in community property. So what is community property? I mean, un under community property, it means that the couple has a single joint estate, so that they become joint owners of all of the assets and liabilities, whether they were acquired before or during the marriage. Um, consequently, on divorce, there is an equal division of the joint estate. And while a forfeiture of benefits can be ordered under certain strict conditions, so if the marriage had been a very short one, um, it is difficult to achieve. Um, it's not something that we see happen very often. In contrast, the accrual system, um, under the accrual system, each spouse has a separate estate and controls his or her own assets and is responsible for his or her own debts during the marriage. There is then an equal sharing of the growth of the spouse's estates during the marriage, but no sharing of what they brought into marriage unless specifically agreed. I mean, this, this arrangement tends to be the one that we, we see most commonly, um, and obviously where parties opt out of community property without the accrual system uh, essentially means that they do not wish to share anything on divorce, um, any assets or any liabilities. Okay, so it's interesting that couples can choose which system to enter into prior to marriage. Um, that that's certainly makes things easier, doesn't it, when dividing assets on divorce, is there's a more clear system? Yes, it does, because it means that you, you know much more what you're dealing with, whereas um, in contrast with English family law, it's obviously completely discretionary, whereas there are uh, different ways of, of calculating um, an outcome in South African family law, depending on which matrimonial property system has been chosen. Great. Um, Turning to spousal maintenance, is it possible to get spousal maintenance in South Africa in addition to child maintenance? It is. Um, however, the South African courts are not keen on awarding generous or long-term spousal maintenance and rather place emphasis on encouraging both parties to support themselves, uh, far more so than the English courts. Okay, so wives are encouraged in South Africa to move towards financial independence sooner, you think, than in England? Yes, I, I, I certainly think that's the case. And in England, we have a process for um, completing what's called a Form E for disclosure. Each party provides financial disclosure of their means and assets. Is there a process for financial disclosure in South Africa? There is, but there's no financial disclosure form like there is in England. Um, instead, 
there is a requirement for each party to discover all documents relating to any matter in question in the action which are or have at any time been in their possession or control. This essentially involves each party listing an affidavit or documentation and make, then making such documentation available for inspection. Um, given the broad nature of documents to be discovered, as I'm sure you can imagine, it is easy for parties to abuse the process by providing masses of disorganised, irrelevant documentation, which obviously takes time to sift through. The you know, majority of, of people do provide um, up-to-date relevant um, discovery documentation, such as up-to-date bank statements and pension statements and so on, but um, it is easier for the, the process to be abused. Um, it is, however, possible to request further and better discovery, um, but again, this can be a time-consuming process. Specifically, in accrual cases, there is an additional requirement for parties to provide um, full particulars of the value of their respective estates. And this usually takes the form of a comprehensive asset and liability schedule. Um, and this provides, obviously, a very useful summary of their respective positions. But um, unlike England, it is not all within one um, comprehensive form. Right. OK. Um, Turning to children arrangements, on divorce, are there, what about the arrangements for any children who are living in South Africa? Uh, the South African Children's Act is a very comprehensive and effective piece of legislation and, like England, focuses on the best interests of the child. In the event an agreement cannot be reached between the parties, a family advocate investigation can be requested um, into what to determine what sort of arrangements uh, they would recommend. However, it is more common for the parties to appoint an independent psychologist or social worker to carry out an investigation and provide recommendations. These investigations tend to be a lot more thorough. He or she will interview um, the parents and the children and any other relevant parties and observe the parents and the children together and so on. Then if agreements still cannot be reached, the arrangements will um, be addressed at trial. Again, unlike England, the parties cannot get divorced without provision being made for the children's arrangements. Oh, right. That's very different to England, where those two issues are often dealt with quite separately. Um, uh, holidays. Um, is parental consent required to take a child on holiday, take a child out of South Africa? Yes, both parents' consent is required for the removal of any minor child from South Africa, whether it's just for a holiday or obviously for more permanent relocation. Um, in the event one parent refuses to consent, an application needs to be made to the High Court for consent, even if it is only for a holiday. Um, obviously, if a child, if a parent then decides to take the child anyway and the child is then abducted, the left-behind parent can seek the child's immediate return under the Hague Convention on Child Abduction, provided the child has been taken to another Hague signatory country. Right, okay. And looking at the court process as a whole, in England um, uh, parties are, are required or encouraged to mediate as a precursor to a court application. Does the same thing happen in South Africa? It's, it's, it's not mandatory. Um, however, there was a case in 2009, the case of Brownlee versus Brownlee, where acting, acting Judge Brassi emphasised the duty of the parties to attempt to mediate a dispute and the obligation of the respective attorneys to encourage their clients to mediate prior to embarking on litigation. 
in that case, he penalised both the parties and the attorneys for failing to do this. He capped the attorneys' fees and the parties were ordered to pay their own costs. As such, mediation is encouraged, um, as are more traditional methods of resolving disputes, such as traditional roundtable meetings and settlement negotiations, um, and more recently, collaborative law and arbitration. I mean, it's, it's very much still early days for uh, these methods, and arbitration in particular has some obstacles to overcome, but there is huge support and drive within the family law community for these methods, and I, I believe and hope that they will gain traction in time. Um, they certainly have a, a key role to play. At present, South African courts do not have specialist family law judges, um, albeit this is something that family lawyers are trying to change. Um, but what this means is that as things currently stand, there is an element, unfortunately, of unpredictability within the South African courts. Some judges um, are brilliant, but some are less familiar with family law. Um, and so alternative um, methods which would enable parties to choose a family law specialist to assist them um, are obviously very appealing. Yes, yes. And in the event that a settlement can be reached, how long would it take to get divorced in South Africa? Does the court need to be involved? It, it doesn't take long. Um, I would estimate a few months if the divorce is amicable. Um, one party needs to issue divorce summons and then, provided no defence is served and a settlement agreement can be agreed between the parties, um, an unopposed divorce date can be attained. The timing of this obviously depends entirely on the court's availability, but usually a uh, court date can be attained between uh, four and six weeks. Ah, so that's, that's quite quick. But what if the parties can't reach an agreement and the matter runs to trial? Does it then take a long time? Yes. Again, it differs from court to court. It depends um, on the availability of trial dates. Um, it also can depend on whether or not there is expert effort uh, expert evidence being given. Um, in Johannesburg at the moment the waiting time for a first time trial date with expert evidence is less than a year which is a big improvement on what it has been in the past few years um, and real effort is being made to decrease waiting time. I think one difficulty that sometimes uh, we, we can face though is that um, although there are court deadlines in respect of financial disclosure and um, if a party is not complying with, with those, you can bring an application to compel discovery. There are no court hearings before trial equivalent to the first appointment or the financial dispute resolution hearing in England. Um, so you could get a, a trial date a year away and then um, your only requirement would be to have a pre-trial conference which is a meeting between the parties and legal counsel um, at least six weeks before trial and this, this is sort of um, a meeting at which you check everything's in order and, and narrow the issues and it's usually combined with a roundtable meeting to discuss settlement and I mean the, although these meetings are usually productive the timing of it means that if parties don't wish to cooperate they can, um, they can procrastinate until the trial date is looming, which can be frustrating. Mm. So, uh, yes, it seems extraordinary that there can be that long gap between w when waiting for a trial date. Um, the processes in South Africa in, in many ways seem similar to England, but in other ways not the same. But it's been so interesting listening to um, your summary of the family laws in South Africa and the way that the courts work. Thank you so much for meeting with me today. Thank you very much for having me.